Hello, I'm Mercedes. And I'm Tash, and you're listening to episode 140 of Chat Disney. Welcome back to another episode of the Chat Disney podcast. And this week, I'm going to be quite quiet. I'm going to be asking Mercedes lots of questions as we are going to be talking all about how to plan a Walt Disney World trip in 2022. Obviously, things have changed quite a lot with certain recent developments. And Mercedes is currently embarking on this journey of planning her trip for September next year as we speak. I'm also going to be giving you a full review of the Mary Poppins West End show at the end of the episode, so do stick around for that. But before we get into that, let's have a quick look at what has been happening in the world of Disney this week. So as we're going to be talking all things Walt Disney World this week, it's only right that we kick things off with a little bit of Walt Disney World news. And first of all, Bob Chapek, the CEO of the Walt Disney Company himself, has come forward and reported some early numbers on the Disney Genie Plus app. And according to Bob Chapek, about a third of guests are currently upgrading from Disney Genie to Disney Genie Plus and using it around the park to navigate their trip, which is quite interesting. That is not a small amount of people at all. And another bit of Disney news, I guess, to do with kind of senior leadership and and decision-making and that sort of stuff that will impact all of the Disney parks around the world. There's a rumor at the moment that comes off the bat of a recent call that was had amongst Disney leadership. And that rumor is that Disney could be cutting down on portion sizes of meals at parks and resorts in order to save money. Now, if these portions are the same foods that we're used to and for the same amount of money, just slightly smaller portions, I can imagine that lots of fans will be up in arms. But having said that, Disney portions are quite generous, especially in the States. So perhaps the cutback will be a welcome and healthy change. And final bit of Walt Disney World news for you all this week, and arguably the most controversial news to have come out of the Walt Disney Company, and that is the fact that this festive season at Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida, Santa Claus will be portrayed by both white and black cast members. And this is the first time that Disney have ever done anything like this. They normally only have white cast members in the role of Santa Claus. And the reason that there's been a lot of controversy around this online is the fact that a lot of fans are just angry, first of all, that black actors will be portraying Santa. And then there's also people who are saying, wait, so does this mean that I could go to Magic Kingdom one day and see a white Santa and then go to Epcot the next day and see a black Santa? Surely my kids are then going to start questioning whether or not Santa is a real person and so on and so forth but lots of fans that are really excited about this change have said hey if your kids can grasp the concept of the fact that there are multiple Spider-Men in the multiverse and you know one of them is a cartoon pig for example then your kids should be able to grasp the concept of there being lots of different Santas but some people tell their kids that there's only one Santa so maybe that argument won't stack up for them it's a very complicated issue I can understand why Walt Disney have made this decision. Santa has no ethnicity or no race. He is a concept after all. Maybe he's a woman. Maybe it's not even a he. Who knows? So I do understand where both sides of the argument have really come from on this one, I would say. Yeah, definitely a very interesting uh, argument there and a a topic for discussion. 
um yeah i'm excited to see some more feedback on on this as it comes to fruition and one of the biggest things to come out of the Disney universe last week was, of course, Disney Plus Day. I'm not going to go too much into what Disney were doing for Disney Plus Day, as next week we will be bringing you a full episode all about Disney Plus Day. But there were lots of special events going on in parks around the world. In Paris, they were doing certain things. At Walt Disney Studios, they had a blue carpet rolled out as guests walked in. They had extra magic hours, so guests could go in early. And a lot of people have actually been saying, hey, Disney are actually doing more for Disney Plus Day than they are for the Walt Disney World's 50th birthday. Controversial? I don't know. We'll speak about it more next week. And also in Paris, they had some giant inflatables appearing, but not at Disneyland, but by the Eiffel Tower. So we had a giant Olaf pop-up, a giant what I think looks like BB-8 from Star Wars. So yeah, lots going on around the world for Disney Plus Day. As I said, we will be talking about this in detail more next week. Absolutely. Very controversial. And I spoke about Spider-Man briefly already today, and we have finally had that Spider-Man No Way Home poster that we were all so desperate for. Very, very exciting. It looks as though the multiverse will be fully realized in this film with rumors that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire will be reprising their roles as Spider-Man. Very, very exciting. And the poster also means that we've got our first look at the Green Goblin. So we've obviously seen Willem Dafoe's portrayal of the Green Goblin in the old Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. This will be the first time that the Green Goblin has made his appearance in the MCU. So that's very, very exciting. And we spoke a little bit last week about Eternals. Unfortunately, it was released two Fridays ago now, and it opened to very low box office ratings. One thing that Disney have recognized is Jimin from BTS and the impact that he has particularly on social media he produced one of the songs in the movie and Disney very very carefully and cleverly I should say for publicity tweeted a picture of his name in the credits and as you can imagine all of the BTS fans are now going to see Eternals purely so they can take a picture of Jimin's name in the credits so maybe this will have a positive impact on the revenue of this movie I don't know I haven't seen it yet as soon as I have I will do a full review but at the moment it looks like Eternals has not been a very successful movie for Walt Disney or for Marvel I'm not going to tell Benji that he's got a real soft spot for BTS and he'll probably want to join those fangirls and uh, go and get a photo himself and final bit of Disney news for today there's been a lot of talk in the news recently about the metaverse now this is obviously since Facebook have announced that they are changing their company name to meta so the metaverse basically refers to the kind of integration of reality and augmented reality so we're talking virtual reality in terms of things like gaming shopping how you watch movies etc etc and bob chapek has come forward and confirmed that the creation of the disney metaverse is well on the way he hasn't said explicitly what this is going to entail people are speculating hey does it mean you can sit at home and you can virtually invite mickey around for tea who knows but i have to be honest this sort of thing really terrifies me in terms of virtual reality so i am intrigued to see where disney go with this but i'm also quite anxious about it 
Mm, definitely. There's always kind of two sides of the story when it comes to digital and AI and social. So yeah, I'm definitely excited for this one for sure. And that's pretty much everything that's been happening in the world of Disney this week. We're now going to head into the main part of today's episode, talking all about how to plan a Walt Disney World trip for 2022. So first of all, we have done a hell of a lot of Walt Disney World episodes in the past, and we've spoken about planning and dining options and transportation and hotels and all that kind of stuff, especially at the beginning of 2020 when Tash went to Walt Disney World for the first time. But after a pandemic and the travel restrictions that come with that and then the financial implications that the Walt Disney Company are facing and trying to rectify, this means that navigating a Walt Disney World holiday in 2022 is no small feat. It is a very complex and difficult thing to do. I saw a fantastic tweet from somebody in the Disney community that said, hey, which university is going to be the first one to launch a how to plan Walt Disney World holiday degree? Because it is really that complex and that difficult to just get your head around. And that's coming from Tash and I, who are Disney veterans and have planned this stuff a bunch of times in the past. So we don't want our listeners to feel lost or confused. So if you are listening to this and you are thinking about embarking on your next Walt Disney World holiday, have no fear because we are going to give you the full guide, the full lowdown on what it looks like right now to book a Walt Disney World holiday and what differences you might experience in 2022 compared to pre previous trips that you may have had. Yes, I'm very intrigued to hear all about this because as you said, my last experience or my only experience of planning Walt Disney World was pre-pandemic. So it was very, very different and it took a lot of my time up. I like to research these things and plan these things properly, but I can only imagine that now it's a lot more time consuming that you have to familiarize yourself with all these new methods of, of planning. Um, but let's start at the beginning. So Mercedes, who have you booked your trip through? So I've actually gone a little bit off piste this time and I've actually booked my holiday with TUI. And you might be thinking, what? I never even knew that TUI did long haul travel. Well, I like to weigh up all of my options. I'm very, very thorough when it comes to planning anything. So if ever I give you a recommendation on this podcast, it does not come lightly. It comes after hours and hours of planning and researching. And I normally book my Walt Disney World holidays through Virgin. But again, because of the pandemic, big, big changes for anybody who's living in the south of England. We are no longer able to fly to Orlando with Virgin from Gatwick. Now, you might be thinking, well, London Gatwick, London Heathrow, is that such a big difference? Well, actually, yeah, it really is for us in Brighton. We're right on the coast in the south of England. And so for Tash and I, Gatwick on a good run is about half an hour in the car. And we can also get direct trains that take about 25 minutes, half an hour as well. Heathrow is probably about an hour and a half on a bad run. It can be like two to three hours if the traffic is really, really bad on the M25. And to get a train to Heathrow from Brighton, you've got to get a train into London, Victoria. And then unfortunately, you've got to sit on a tube and you've got to stay on that tube right to the very end, which, you know, Heathrow is the last stop on that tube. So it's actually really difficult for those of us in the South to get to Heathrow sometimes. Gatwick is always going to be 
our preference. So that's one reason that we're going with TUI because they are flying from London Gatwick to Orlando. I do want to just caveat that with the fact that they're not flying into Orlando International. It is a different airport in Orlando that is a little bit further away from Walt Disney World. But, and here's the other big reason that I booked with TUI, the Magical Express, which is the free transportation that used to take Disney hotel guests from Orlando International into Walt Disney World, that no longer runs, okay? So that is stopping. That is not an option for you if you're going to Walt Disney World in 2022. However, if you book with TUI, TUI are offering free airport transportation from the Orlando airport that they fly into that's not Orlando International, and I cannot remember the name of it to your hotel at Walt Disney World. So there's two big reasons. They fly from Gatwick and also you get that transportation, that airport transportation free of charge with your booking. So you've not got to worry about booking a Miz coach or an Uber or whatever. And if that wasn't compelling enough for you already, you get the same benefits that you get if you book direct with Disney or Virgin. So I'm benefiting from the 50th anniversary package, which includes a 14-day ticket for the price of seven. It includes dining credits, which we'll talk about thoroughly in a bit, and many other benefits. And I'm paying about £300 less than I would have been through Virgin and about six to £700 less than if I'd booked direct with Walt Disney. Okay, that's actually pretty good. That's actually very good. I never, I don't, I know people use TUI, TUI. I've never had any experience with them. So um, yeah, that's actually really good to know. And I think for a lot of our listeners as well that are flying from the UK, that will be really, really useful information. Um, So just remind our listeners when it is you're going and where it is you're actually staying. Sure thing. So I'm going to be traveling in September 2022. And I'm actually going to be out there for the end of September and the beginning of October. And I chose this time period very, very carefully because all of my favorite things pretty much are happening at that time of year in Walt Disney World. So not only will I be able to enjoy the Food and Wine Festival at Epcot, it will also be the beginning of the autumnal fall Halloween season. So I'll be able to see all of the gorgeous pumpkins that adorn Magic Kingdom, which I'm super, super excited about. Um, And I'm staying, sorry, I just realized you asked me where I'm staying as well. I am staying at Coronado Springs. And if you'd like to know how I arrived at that decision, I very much encourage you to listen. I can't even remember which episode (laughs) it was now, but go back in time because I I spoke about my my very uh, complicated decision and, and and how I kind of really struggled to pick which which hotel and yeah I landed on Coronado Springs. Perfect so I think one thing that a lot of people will want to know is in terms of park reservation and how that all works now so are you going at a time where you still have to reserve one park per day can you park hop how do you make the reservations? Very good question, Tash. Now, for those of you that haven't been to Walt Disney World for a while, myself included, you're probably taken aback by Tash's question. Like, what do you mean reservation? So this is something that the Walt Disney Company launched during COVID. In order to control the maximum capacity in each of the parks at Walt Disney World, they had basically a reservation system where it wasn't enough to just have your Walt Disney World ticket. You had to actually go and book which park you were going to be going to on which day. Obviously, this is great because it means that the company can control how many people they have in certain parks. And when it gets to maximum capacity, 
you're aware of it and you can go to a different park. You just book a reservation for a different place or whatever. The problem with this is obviously it really takes away that element of spontaneity. You can't just wake up one morning and think, hmm, do you know what? Let's go back to Animal Kingdom because I really have a craving to go on the Pandora attraction, Navi River Journey, let's say. I don't know why you'd have a craving to go on that, but let's just say that that's gone, right? That element of surprise, that element of spontaneity, unfortunately has gone with this reservation system. And yes, Tash, to answer your question, that reservation system is still very much in place right now. It looks as though it will continue through 2022. I don't think it will be going anywhere for some time. So I have not only have I got my 14 day ticket for Walt Disney World, I've also gone in and I've booked which park I want to go to on which day, which is a little bit disappointing because, you know, it's nice to be planned and to know, you know, a rough itinerary of what you want to do. But I quite like, especially on a two week holiday, to have that second week a little bit looser and to think, oh, should we should we go to Hollywood Studios this evening and watch Fantasmic? I've got a real craving, you know, that kind of yeah spontaneity is the only word for it really that that's kind of gone and then you mentioned park hopping as well so park hopping for those who don't know is basically just going to one park and then going to another there are some people who like to go to all four parks in one day as like a bit of a challenge I don't recommend that if it's like your first or maybe even second or third or fourth time that's for like real experienced Walt Disney World enthusiasts that just want to be able to say that they've done it well, unfortunately, with this reservation system, that is kind of a thing of the past. The most amount of parks that you can go to in one day right now is two. And the way that that works is you book a reservation for your first park. You have to go to that park. And then once it gets to 2 p.m., you're able to book a reservation for a different park. So in order to park hop, you can't have a reservation for Magic Kingdom and then suddenly decide you want to go to Animal Kingdom. You have to physically check in to the park that the original reservation was for and then you have to wait till 2 p.m to be able to book something different and hop into that park right I see because I think the way they're doing it at Disneyland is that you can pay a premium for a ticket where you can park hop so it's done slightly differently oh this is a premium this is not a standard ticket so even with those restrictions this is a premium luckily if you're in the UK you're probably going to have that premium ticket just and anyway most of our packages through TUI through Virgin through Walt Disney World for UK residents they sell us a slightly different package because they know that we're out there for a long time and we're making a big holiday of it so if you buy that 14 day ticket for the price of seven that most of us buy that is a premium ticket that includes park hopping and it also includes your water parks so for US residents they have to pay a bit more for water park access as well right I see got it yeah I mean it's definitely, I feel like, especially for someone like Grumpy who hasn't been to Walt Disney World before, you know, you don't know and he doesn't know what parks you're going to like and you're going to want to revisit. Um, so how how is the process of actually booking the parks? Is that all done through Disney Genie? And do you know if it's easy to change them? So for say, for example, when you're there, Grumpy realises actually he really loves the Magic Kingdom more than any other park. Cannot see that happening. Um, and he decides that he wants to go there multiple times in your second week. Is it easy to change your reservations? I guess it depends on availability. Absolutely. So we'll talk about Disney Genie in a bit because that's a whole other difficult, complex thing to navigate. 
The app that is sort of the well-known app that most of our listeners will have used in the past and you probably used when you went in 2020, Tash, is the My Disney Experience app. That is not going anywhere. You still need to download your My Disney Experience app. This is going to store your park tickets. It's going to be your room key if you're staying at a Walt Disney World resort. You can check in early so you don't have to go to the front desk through My Disney Experience. There's loads of cool stuff you can do. So that's still the app, the number one app that you need to download. And it's through the My Disney Experience app that you're going to make these park reservations. I've already done it for my 2020 holiday. How crazy is that? I already have my park tickets in my wallet on my phone. I'm literally showing Tash right now on screen so that she can tell you all that I am not lying and I am authentic. So there we go. There's my ticket. You can see the mini ears, Mercedes G. And then here's Grumpy's ticket with the little Mickey hat. You can see Christopher G there. G for grumpy, obviously. So the My Disney Experience app is the one you're going to want to download. As I say, this has everything that you need. It's got your park maps. It's got your wait times. And that's where you'll find this reservation system. And then in terms of changing it, I'm not sure when the cutoff is. I imagine you have to do it the day before. I can't see that you're allowed to change it on the day. But yeah, it's super simple to change. So although I've booked all of my parks right now, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to change them up before the trip. And as long as there's availability at the other park that you want to change to, then you can switch it. No problem. Perfect. That's very good to know. And the my Disney app, whatever it's called, is I did use it when I did my trip and it is very, very easy to use. Or it was then in terms of reserving your fast passes and things like that, making your dining reservations. Just to add in, because I think there might be some people who have maybe never been to Walt Disney World before who are planning a holiday thinking, is this going to cost me loads of money in terms of data on my phone if I have to constantly be connected to the internet? But there is Wi-Fi at Walt Disney World over the whole resort. So I think it can be a little bit spotty sometimes in places. But generally, when I was there, I think the connection was pretty good for just basic stuff. I don't know what it's going to be like now that people are probably going to be even more glued to their phones with Disney Genie. Um, But yeah, that's something that you can feed back to us in September next year. Yeah, absolutely. Tash is right. So that is Wi-Fi all over the Walt Disney World Resort. And there's also charging points as well. Although I would always recommend taking a battery pack with you because you never know what's going to happen. And we're so lost nowadays without our phone, especially when it's got our park ticket and our room key and goodness knows what else on it. Something else that I would recommend as well, I did this when I was in California. If you are going to be using the data on your phone a lot, maybe outside of the Walt Disney World park. So maybe you're wanting to go into Orlando or you're going to make your own way around the city maybe you're staying off property and you're going to be using it for navigation and maps and that kind of thing grumpy and i actually bought a sim card when we were in california it cost us like 15 dollars or something and it had like i don't know how much data like 25 gigs of data or something like that and we just used to put that into one of our phones so that we could use the data on that sim card for maps and ways and goodness knows what else because we do we use our phones so much for navigation nowadays as well we do. And I. this is something I actually really, really hate about holidays and about, you know, doing so much with, you know, Disney planning on your phone. When I go on holiday, you want it to be an escape from, you know, your life back home. But it's so easy to, you know, have that internet connection and then just like open up Instagram before you even realize it. And 
that is not something I think you should be doing in the parks. I think you need to be immersing yourself in the parks as much as possible. So, you know, if that's what you want to do, turn off all your notifications, hell, even delete your apps. Like, why not? Like, fully immerse yourself in that experience. Don't be tempted to go on social media just because you've got access to it. Just use it for your planning purposes. That would be what I would do anyway. Yeah, I completely agree. And I can't remember if I've mentioned this on the podcast already or not. I've definitely mentioned it to some family and possibly Tash or Fair. So apologies if I am repeating myself. But again, I saw a fantastic tweet on Twitter, obviously. And it was talking about how in the Disneyland episode of Modern Family, there's like this subplot about Manny and how he's always on his phone and he's not connecting with the family and he's not having any sort of real meaningful experiences. And the whole purpose of that narrative is that he goes to Disneyland with the family and it's finally the first time that he looks around and is like, oh, this is amazing. I want to experience with this with my family. And then he puts the phone away and it feels like that whole mentality is becoming the complete opposite of life at Disneyland when, you know, we have to make our our park reservations on the app. Our, Our phone is our ticket. Our phone is our key. Our phone is how we check in. Our phone is how we make dining reservations 90 days ahead of our stay. Our our phone is actually how we order meals as well. So maybe let's talk about food while, while we're on that subject. Yes. So you mentioned, obviously, we know and we've spoken a lot in the news and things about the fact that Disney dining plans are no longer a thing, unfortunately. And I think that was one of the main incentives for a lot of people to stay on site. And occasionally having offers where they can get the free Disney dining plan is a great way and a great way to encourage people to stay on site. And it makes it a lot more affordable for a lot of people. But now they've scrapped that completely it almost begs the question of why pay all that money to stay on site when you could save so much money staying off site. But you mentioned that there are now Disney dining credits. So how does that work? So I'm really sorry if anyone is listening to this and they want to book a 2022 holiday and they're like, oh, dining credit, because it's actually ended. So it ended at the beginning of November. It was a special 50th anniversary offer that Disney were doing for UK residents to promote people to travel to Walt Disney World in 2022. And the offer was you got like subsidized um, hotel rooms, like the room was slightly cheaper than normal. You got your 14 day ticket for the price of seven, which is an offer and an incentive that we've seen Walt Disney World do a bunch of times. And also you got a dining credit, which was the first time Disney have ever done this, as Tash said, rightfully. The dining plan doesn't exist right now. Disney have confirmed it will come back, but there's a big caveat there. Just because it's coming back doesn't mean we're going to see that free offer in the UK again. If I had to put money on it, I would say wait till summer next year. I suspect, I could be totally wrong, but I suspect they'll bring back the dining plan offer for 2023 holidays, if that makes sense. So if you're thinking you want to stay at Disney Hotel, but you only really want to do it if you're going to get free dining, I would just wait, hold off. I think that 2023, we'll probably see free dining plans again, but we'll we'll see. So the dining credit is not as good as the dining plan in terms of it's not as good value for money, but essentially the more premium the hotel you stay at, 
the more money you would get for food. So Grumpy and I are getting $850 for food. And we're also getting a $100 gift card. So that's $950 we're getting as part of this deal. And so when we were booking our holiday, we had a budget in mind. But I said to Grumpy, like, look, we need to discount $950 from the price. Because even if the Disney hotel looks like it's, you know, X amount more than the offsite, that $950 is not insignificant. And the fact that you've not got to get an Uber, you've not got to pay for parking, you've got all of your transportation for free. So that offer was fantastic. And we did take advantage of that. As I said, we're very, very lucky. We're going to get $850 worth of dining credits. And these dining credits can be used wherever you want. So they're a lot more flexible than the dining plan. With the dining plan, you had kind of set places you could eat with set menus. If I wanted to get $850 worth of Dole Whips, I could absolutely do that with the dining credits. Why anyone would do that, I don't know, but they are free to use however you would like. Okay, perfect. I think, I mean, yeah, that again sounds like a very good deal, but it's very unfortunate that that has now been taken off of the table um, because I do think that dining is a huge thing for people when they think about visiting Walt Disney World, of course. Um, Okay, so let's talk... I think the biggest thing that we haven't really, we've touched upon a little bit is the Disney Genie app, which is what most people are going to be figuring out at the moment, trying to navigate it. So in a nutshell, explain to our listeners what the Disney Genie does. So the Disney Genie is FastPass. That's it. Disney Genie or Disney Genie Plus, I should say, is FastPass. That's it. Let's talk about Disney Genie Plus first, because I think that that is probably the bit that people are most interested in. So first of all, we didn't know when they announced Disney Genie if this was a new app. So it meant we were going to be walking around with my Disney experience or my magic experience, whatever it's called. And we'd be you know, using that to make park reservations and dining reservations, but then we'd have this Disney Genie in this separate space. And luckily that is not the case. Disney Genie is embedded in the My Disney Experience app. So you only need to download one app. Disney Genie is not a separate thing. So that's fantastic. So what happens is you go into the My Disney Experience app and then when you're navigating through the different options, menus, dinings, accommodation, tickets, Genie is just another option. The My Disney Genie um, or the, the Disney Genie Plus, sorry, is a paid for extra and it is the old fast pass system. So what happens is you pay $15 a day per person and that gives you the ability to book lightning lanes so that you don't have to queue. So you can only book one lightning lane at a time and it gives you a slot, a time slot where you have to return to the attraction. So I could go into Hollywood Studios first thing in the morning, go onto the My Disney Experience app, go onto Disney Genie Plus or press the Disney Genie Plus option, pay my $15 and then book my Rise of the Resistance attraction. And it might say, great, we want you to come back at 3 p.m. So that is how that works. That is exactly the same as the old FastPass system, which was free. There are a few things I want to say about Disney Genie Plus before I move on to just your standard Disney Genie. So $15 a day is how much it costs. However, if you are a resident in the UK, it's only about £6 a day if you add it onto your Disney holiday. 
which is significantly cheaper. And they're also doing a deal right now where if you are going to Walt Disney World for 14 days and you book a stay, you can get the Disney Genie Plus for the price of nine. Now, this sounds great, but realistically, I'm going to Walt Disney World for 14 days. I'm staying at a Disney Hotel. I'm probably only going to go to the parks for nine days. I imagine there'll be like three, four, maybe five days where I don't go to the parks or I go to a water park. So you have to think to yourself with that 14-day offer, do you really need the Disney Genie Plus for nine days even, especially when it's only six pounds for us in the UK? So that's the first thing just to know on Disney Genie Plus. Do you have any questions about that, Tash, or anything you want me to clarify before I move on to the free option? So one question. So with the old FastPass Plus, you used to be able to go onto the My Disney app, My Magic app, whatever we've decided it's called in this episode, um, and book your fast passes 60 days in advance or 90 days in advance if you were staying on site. So can you no longer book them in advance? Correct. So I never actually experienced this. This was a relatively new um, concept, the FastPass um, Plus system. Or I, I don't know if that was FastPass Plus. I think FastPass Plus was actually something in California where you could pay for individual rides. I think it was called something else. I can't remember what it was called now. It's really going to annoy me, but I know exactly what you're talking about. You could pick three attractions a day and book them. Yeah, that unfortunately no longer exists. The only thing extra to add to what I've already told you about the Genie Plus is you can pay for one-off attractions. So let's say you're in Hollywood Studios, you've done all your rides, but you really want to go on Rise of the Resistance. It's got a three-hour queue and it's the end of the day and you think it's not worth buying the Genie Plus for the whole day. You can pay for individual attractions, which is very similar to the new model that we have in Disneyland Paris, which is a whole other topic. Um, But yeah, so there's the option to pay your $15 or your £6 if you do it ahead of time to have it for the whole day. But then you are basically beholden to the time slot they give you. If you pay individually, you've got a little bit more choice, I think, in terms of time and that sort of stuff. And it's a little bit more immediate. You're kind of cheating the system a tiny bit right okay I see that yeah that makes sense I mean I still think that it's not it's not a great alternative to free fast passes and I do hope that they abolish it but I don't think that they will now and I think that with the discounts it's kind of masking the fact like it's making it seem better than it actually is I think they should just wipe the whole thing altogether. but then that's that's my opinion um okay so let's talk more about Disney Genie So Disney Genie is the free version of Disney Genie Plus. And the Disney Genie is nothing to do with queue jumping or fast passes or lightning lanes or getting on rides quicker. It's actually a free planning tool. So the Disney Genie is a really cool bit of AI technology that basically finds out a little bit about you, your hobbies, your interests, the kind of attractions that you and your family enjoy. And then it plans and crafts a day for you based on all of the technology and all of the information that it's gathered about all of the guests that go to Walt Disney World over however many years, 50 years of the parks being open. So what will happen is you'll go into the park and unfortunately I've not seen this in action yet because it will only do it for you the day that you've actually got a reservation. Obviously I can't book a reservation on my app because I don't have a ticket that correlates with a day in the park at the moment. But essentially you go in And you say, hi, I'm Mercedes. I really like Disneyland. Um, 
I was going to say Disneyland Paris. I mean, if I really like Disneyland Paris, I don't know what I'm doing at Walt Disney World. I really like Disney princesses and we're really interested in pirates as well, maybe Star Wars to appease Grumpy. And I like coasters and I'm really interested in Haunted Mansion and also if I could get into the Crystal Palace for lunch, that would be a win as well. So you put some of this stuff in and then it will give you this crafted, curated plan for the day. So it will say Mercedes, I don't know, let's say Big Thunder Mountain's got a really small queue right now. The queue that it has right now is significantly less than what we normally expect to see at this time of the day. So we really recommend that you go on it now. And I can either go and do that or I can say to the Disney Genie, I'm not interested in Big Thunder Mountain and I can ask it to not suggest things like that. So it's it's really good in principle. I have seen that a lot of Disney vloggers were using it on the day that it launched and it was suggesting things like Pirates of the Caribbean and then they were getting there and there was like a three-hour queue, which is abnormally long. I don't know if that's like... an AI problem in terms of like it got it wrong or if it was sending everyone there because the queue was really low I don't know I don't think that we know enough about it yet because it's still such early days I don't imagine that I will use it very much in my trip I think I might glance at it but I can't imagine that I would follow it like gospel yeah it seems I think it will be a great tool for people that have never been to Walt Disney World before and or people that just have never been to a Disney park in general and don't really know what they're doing and don't really know what is available for them. I think in that sense, it will be great. But I think if you know what you're doing and you know how to navigate a Disney park, then I think it could probably hinder your experience in terms of getting you to constantly look at a phone and actually spending more time paying attention to that than you need to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess the final thing that I want to talk about when it comes to like all this phone nonsense, um, we touched a little bit on dining with regards to the new dining credits that they launched for those of us in the UK and then the dining plan and that kind of stuff. There's obviously mobile ordering as well, which you do through the My Disney Experience app. I'm loving it because I've downloaded the app and everything. So I can actually go on to My Disney Experience right now and I can see which restaurants and which um, quick dines are accepting mobile orders. And I can actually go through and create like a, a fake order essentially so that I can see everything that's on the menu which is really, really exciting. So the way that you would do that if you are interested is just by going onto your My Disney Experience app. If you download it, it's free to download. So I would just say, go ahead and do it. And then you just basically go onto the little menu on the last page and you want to click on mobile food orders. And then at that point, you're going to get a list of all of the places that are actually like currently accepting a right um uh, orders so i can see right now aloha isle is currently open at the magic kingdom i click on it and then i can view the whole menu so right now the things that i would be able to order from aloha isle obviously the pineapple float which we would expect to see i can see that there's a raspberry doll whip that they're doing at the moment so this is really awesome and definitely is getting me excited about all of the cool stuff that i can eat when i go out there and then the final thing obviously is the disney dining reservations now reservations are 
notoriously difficult to book at any Disney park, but I think at Walt Disney World especially. So this is the same as it has been for a while. If you're staying at a Disney hotel, you can book your Disney dining options 90 days before you go. If you're staying off site, it is 60 days. But one really cool thing just to note is it's 90 days from the first day of your stay. And because we do go for 14 days generally in the UK or 10 days, we tend to go for longer. That means that as soon as it hits 90 days for the first day of the booking, you've got the whole view of the next two weeks and all of the locals that are just going for like three days or a week or whatever, they're not going to be able to see that second week. So if you do look on the first day when it's 90 days and, you know, be our guest is full and I don't know, La Cellier is full, all the, the really popular restaurants are full. Just have a look at your second week. If you are going for two weeks, because you're going to have your choice of everything at that point, whereas a lot of people won't have access to that that part. If you're staying on site, if it's off site, then obviously it's the normal 60 days. Fab. Yeah, I think this has been very, very informative and hopefully has, is well, will help a lot of our listeners in booking Walt Disney World holidays for next year. And I'm sure a lot of people are intrigued to know exactly what your itinerary is going to consist of, where you're going to be eating, Um, and more details about your trip so I think before you go next year that is another episode that we will have where we cover your day-by-day plan because I want to know where you're eating and what you're doing and hey we're gonna know that right we're gonna know exactly where I'm going and exactly where I'm eating 90 days before because Disney have taken away any element of surprise or spontaneity from our trip planning and don't get me wrong I I whinge about this to Grumpy and he's like stop it you love a plan and I do I'm an absolute control freak as Tash will tell you but I like the possibility of like we might go here or you know what it's like just stumbling a across a little hidden gem and thinking oh should we try there for drinks and dinner this evening rather than you know we have this dining reservation and one quick thing that I will just add if you do have a dining reservation and you don't show up you do get fined yes that is very very important to to remember because I think a lot of people if you're not aware of that will definitely fall a victim to that little uh, scheme that they have have going on so definitely something to be aware of there yeah cool so I think we've covered most things there is there anything else at all you wanted to add I don't think so just the fact that I'm in no means an expert in this stuff it's absolutely given me brain fog to try and navigate this so if there's anything that I didn't cover today or anything that you didn't understand or whatever please do get in touch with us as I say this stuff is transient it's changing all the time so This is the current situation right now as this episode goes out. In a month or two, we might have a Disney dining plan. We might have the Magical Express back. Who knows? Stranger things have happened. So yeah, any questions at all, you can always contact us. Our Twitter is at ChatDisneyUK. Or you can find us on Instagram at ChatDisney. I think we're now going to hand over the mic to Tash And she is going to conclude today's episode by giving us her full review of Mary Poppins at London's West End. In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You'll find the fun and snap the jobs again.
So Mary Poppins, we have spoken about this before on the podcast. Mercedes and I went to see it in its original West End run, which we saw it, I think, in 2004. I think it ran for, I want to say, five years. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but it didn't run for very long in terms of a West End show. Um, And to be honest, that first time we went, I cannot remember anything about it. I do remember some things, so it'll be really interesting to see if any of these things happened. I really, really remember Step in Time, and I remember that the chimney sweeps walked up the side of the stage, and then they walked, like, upside down. If you imagine that a stage is like a rectangle, they walked up and across the stage, basically, so they were, like, hanging upside down. I really distinctly remember that. That's it. I don't remember, like, I, I was I remember loads. That's the only thing I remember. I don't remember, like, Jolly Holiday or I Love to Laugh. I don't remember if there were original songs. I imagine there must have been. I don't remember the children. I don't remember very much. Yeah, that's exactly what I was like. And so I went to see it a couple of weeks ago. It was the suggestion of my parents. I didn't realise, actually, my dad had never, ever seen Mary Poppins until lockdown last year. And then the film, he had never seen it. Wow. I know. I was shocked. I only found this out when we went to the show. I thought he'd seen it before. Um, And so my mum made my dad watch it. My dad thought that it was going to be stupid and he wouldn't like it. And he absolutely fell in love with it. And he then, I think the week after, they watched Mary Poppins Returns. And then he watched Mary Poppins again. And then he suggested going to the show for my birthday. That is how much of a Mary Poppins fan he has suddenly become. Um, So talking about the show, let's talk about some of the portrayals of characters. There was nobody hugely famous in it, for one. Mary Poppins, I think, for me, is a character... Again, I think we might have spoken about her in the film. So, Mercedes, you're not a huge fan of Mary Poppins as a movie anyway, I know. I I feel bad saying it, though. Like, I I don't dislike it, but I think most people think it's, like, legendary. And I'm, I can give or take it. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I I get that. I very much grew up with it and I've always been a fan of it. And I love Julie Andrews' Mary Poppins. Did you come up with it and your dad didn't see it? I love it. Honestly, I have no idea. Like, I think it was one of those films that I always had on and like watched with my mum and my dad just was never like, I don't know, aware of it, never watched it. Um, but yeah, so the character of Mary Poppins, she is quite an interesting character because she, I don't find her an especially warm character, but I do think that Julie Andrews makes her likable. I did feel that in the West End production, the I can't remember what the actress's name was who was playing Mary Poppins. She was very, very good, but there was there was a real coldness to the way that she played it, and it made Mary Poppins not very likable. And I think that some people would say that Mary Poppins can be a bit like that anyway. Like she's very stern but fair. Yeah. But I, I always makes me laugh when people are like, oh, she's the ultimate nanny. I'm a bit like, I don't know if I'd want her to be my nanny. Like, aside from the fact that she's magical, I don't think that she has that warmth that I would want as a child. And this yeah. Mary Poppins really played that. And as I say, she played it well, but it was very cold. It didn't make me like the character at all. No, I, I hear you and you're going to hate me because I know she's like one of your favourite actresses of all time. But that was my issue with the Emily Blunt portrayal. I found her really cold and stern, like more than Julie Andrews. 
And I thought she was brilliant. I I actually quite like that film, to be honest, especially as somebody that's not that into Mary Poppins. I think as much as I hate to say, you're going to hate me even more for this, but I didn't think Lin-Manuel Miranda was that great in it. And I think, you know, we've, we've spoken about how much we love Hamilton time and time again, but I think that that part could have gone to any number of people and they would have performed it better. But yeah, I really get that cold, stern, um, almost unlikable nature from Emily Blunt's portrayal as well. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. It's funny, isn't it? For such a, a loved iconic character that they are actually just, she is just like that. It's, it is a strange one. And then in the role of Bert, we had an actor called Charlie Stemp. He was very, very good. I would say he was probably the best in terms of how he brought that role to life. He was a phenomenal dancer, which I'll talk about the dancing more in a moment. But yeah, he, he was very good. I think he did the role real justice. And then of course we have the children, and the children, I have to give them credit, they were very good in the role of Michael and Jane. But, and this is not against the children as actors, but more what they did with the character. But at one point, Benji just turned to me about Michael and he was like, God, that kid is so obnoxious. And he is. And I, I they're not as bad as that in the movie, no way. But it was to the point where, like, I think towards the end of the second half, it started to really bug me just how much of a pain in the bum this kid was. Yeah, they do kind of play on that, don't they? Because there's that moment with the tape measure in the original movie and they say that Michael is obnoxious and Jane is something and tends to giggle. I can't remember what it is precisely, but yeah, they kind of play on that, don't they? That idea that, yeah, Michael, I do find Michael annoying in the first, in the original movie. I'm sorry. Um, There's that moment you know, close your mouth, Michael, we're not a codfish. And there's a moment that's always bothered me of Michael. I'm just, I'm just going in on Mary Poppins here, but there's a moment where I think it's when they're on the way to the, I love to laugh guy's house. And he's walking along the curb and he's got one foot in the road and one foot on the pavement. And Mary Poppins never says anything to him about that, I don't think. But I'm like, come on, Michael. Like just, I, I think he's a really annoying kid. I think she does. I think she says something like stop dawdling or stop dwindling or something. I'm sure she picks him up on it. But yeah, that, that it's weird. That bit always stuck in my mind. And I always used to do it, like thinking about him when I was younger, like as a copycat. But um, yeah, no, he, yeah, I think that just what they did with the character of him, they did make him quite annoying. Um, in terms of the story, the story is very, very different to the Disney movie that everyone knows and loves. So for example, we don't have any dancing penguins. There's no animation sequence incorporated into it, um, which I think a lot of people would probably go and expect. I think a lot of people would be like, oh, I wonder how they're going to do the animation bit. And that is not in it. Sorry to disappoint you if that's your favourite part. Um, But looking it up afterwards and reading what is in the programme, I think that this show is actually based kind of on the Disney movie, but it's also based on the other P.L. Travers, Mary Poppins stories, which I actually am not familiar with any of the Mary Poppins books. I've never read any of them. My only familiarity with Mary Poppins is from the Disney movie. So there were a lot of new songs in it, um, even things like Spoonful of Sugar and Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious were sung in completely different scenarios to how they are 
in the original movie. So Spoonful of Sugar, I love that song and I love how that is done in the movie when they're cleaning up the nursery. And we kind of had that moment and then they didn't do the song. And I was like, well, surely, like that was the bit I was most looking forward to. I was like, well, surely they're not going to skip that song. And then I don't know if you remember Mercedes, but they do it in a kitchen setting instead. I don't remember. I'm actually just looking it up because I'm interested to know if like the version that we saw is the same as the version that you have seen. I don't know if you've already checked that. I think it I think it is the same. Um I couldn't find anything clear on it. I did have a little Google and I think it is same. I mean, bits have been adapted. The set was definitely slightly different from what I or how I remembered it being done. Um yeah, the only bit that I can remember, and again, I'll talk about it more, is the step in time sequence that you mentioned. That was the only bit that I know for a fact was the same. Yeah, and just having a look, because I know when I spoke about Beauty and the Beast last week, there were a lot of songs that were missing. So I'm just going to see if I can find anything. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I can say when we saw it all those years ago, I can't remember a single song that's new to the show that's not in the original movie. So I okay. Yeah, sorry, sorry, I cut you off there. It says here that a number of musical sequences are modified from their purpose in the film. And it talks about exactly what you've just described. A spoonful of sugar, super fragilistic expialidocious, feed the birds and let's go fly a kite. All four of those songs are sung in different scenarios. And this is consistent with the original West End production that we saw and the Broadway and this new West End revival. How odd. I have no recollection. Yeah. I mean, there was one sequence that I really feel like I would have remembered. So it's at the end of the first half and it's this nightmarish sequence that seems to come from nowhere and it's really, really creepy. And it has, you know, this puppet comes to life. And then there's this box of toys that opens up and it's full of these puppets. And then there's this giant punch puppet as in Punch and Judy. And it is it is really nightmarish. It's horrifying. And I was like, what on earth is, is this about? Like, where has this suddenly come from? And I wonder if that's something to do with one of P.L. Travers' other stories but that was something I didn't remember at all from the time that we went to see it and I feel like I would have remembered that it's weird that you say that though because as you were telling me about the nightmare scene and you said there was a giant I was thinking like a jack-in-the-box with like one of those kind of Victorian noses and chins and like and and then you said oh a punch so I wonder where I've got that image from I wonder if somewhere deep in my subconscious I've repressed that memory. I feel like it does kind of ring a bell, but I, 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 I can't remember it. I'd be lying if I said I could remember it. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember remember it at all. But yeah, I quite in hindsight, I quite enjoyed that bit because it was it was quite different to the rest of it. I feel like with the whole show, they added. I mean, there was a couple of characters in it who were very slapstick, and if you're not into slapstick, which I'm not particularly it can be quite annoying. And there were a couple of bits as well that came across almost as quite panto-ish, which it just felt like a lot of it. Mary Poppins to me is a family film, whereas there were parts of this production that felt like they were very much geared just towards children. That's interesting. And, And something that I wanted to ask you about, and we've kind of touched upon this already. So in terms of the success of this West End revival, obviously it came out 
2019, it says, but then obviously we had COVID. So it was actually considered in the 2020 um, Olivier Awards and it was nominated for Best Musical Revival, which it didn't win. Best Actor in a Musical, which was Charlie Stemp, who I have have actually seen Charlie Stemp. He was in the London Palladium when when that returned, uh, the pantomime at the Palladium. So I have seen Charlie Stemp perform. He didn't win. Best Actress in a Musical, it was nominated for. It was also nominated for Best Actress in a Supporting Role. But then there were two categories that it won an Olivier Award for. So these are the areas I really want to talk about. And as I say, you've touched upon already. The first one is The Set, and that was by Bob Crowley. The second, Best Theatre Choreography. And the choreography is by Stephen Meir and my favourite choreographer, Matthew Bourne. So I'm, I'm curious to hear a bit more about that. Yeah, so Matthew Bourne is obviously very famous in, in the dance world and the world of ballet. And there is a lot of ballet motifs and moments in the show and I think the dancing was actually probably my highlight of it because it was I mean they are very very talented dancers every single actor that was in that performance that I saw was very very gifted in that department step in time was my highlight of the whole thing I did think that that bit was amazing I would say with the tap dancing it really reminded me of you because I know you love tap the bit where Bert does walk up the side of the stage and then he is dangling upside down but he's still tapping away like that just blows my mind and it's quite a long sequence I think they do extend it but it's just done so so well and the dancing in it is just like I could not take my eyes off of that bit that bit was definitely my highlight of it but yeah we have a lot of characters in it I mean there's a statue that comes to life in one part of it and he's obviously a trained ballet dancer and is very very talented at that so yeah the dancing I would say I can definitely see why it won an award for it because it was outstanding. The set also was very, very impressive as well. It was slightly different to how I remembered it. I remembered the Banks house as being kind of three bits on like a rotating, almost like a Ferris wheel. So like you had one floor of the nursery and that would come forward and then that would kind of rotate back and then you'd have the downstairs and then you'd have the roof. Whereas this was slightly different. It was more like a big built house that opened and then we had sort of the downstairs and the upstairs and then the downstairs would kind of be lifted down from, oh, sorry, the upstairs would be lifted down from the ceiling where it was hiding in the wings. Um, so yeah, the set was very, very impressive. There were bits, and I guess it was done to kind of contrast it. So like the park, for instance, was very kind of bland and grey, but I guess they did that to contrast against when they did things like jolly holiday and they had like these painted backdrop with all these like murals of flowers and things like that it was very fantastical a lot of stuff like that and not very realistic um which yeah I quite enjoyed actually I thought it was a there was a lot of changes with the set it was very intricate and yeah I would actually say probably thinking about it that yeah those two areas the set and the dancing were probably the best two bits which makes perfect sense why they are won awards perfect I'm glad to hear that so I did not share this with you prior to you going to the show because I didn't want to make you feel flat or sad or anything but I've heard quite negative reviews about this revival of Mary Poppins What's your overall opinion? Do you believe those reviews? Do you think it's worth going? Would you recommend that our listeners go and see this show? I think that if you are, 
do you know, I was going to say if you are a big Mary Poppins fan and you've got young children, then 100%, I think you would enjoy it. But saying that, Benji, my husband, he's not a massive, massive musical fan and he absolutely loved it. And my parents absolutely loved it as well. So I think it just really depends on on you as a person and what you're into. If you're into that kind of fantastical, fun, you want to, you know, just get into sort of your childlike side for an afternoon, then yeah, sure, you're probably going to love it. I think if you're not really into Mary Poppins, then I wouldn't bother. I would give it a wide berth because I don't think that you're going to enjoy it at all. Um, but yeah, overall, I thought it was good. It wasn't the best thing that I've ever seen, um, but I, I found it very enjoyable. Obviously, it's got really high expectations because the last thing that you saw in the theatre was Hamilton. So if somebody has got, you know, someone said to them, for Christmas, you can go to whatever theatre production in the West End you want to go to. It's, it's your choice. And the person was kind of toying between Hamilton and Mary Poppins. What would you recommend? Oh, God, without question, Hamilton, of course. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I think if I threw Beauty and the Beast into the mix, I think I would say Hamilton as well. But interestingly, it would depend on the person. If they had children, obviously, I would say Beauty and the Beast. So it's... um. Yeah, I guess it it depends. And and obviously very soon we're going to have another one to throw into the mix as well, which is Frozen, which is not long now. It's not. It's less than a month. So, yeah, I'm very, very excited about Frozen. I've got no expectation. I've not looked at any reviews. I'm purposely not. I don't want to know anything about it before we go. So I'm going in very much with an open mind. I'm very excited. Yeah, I've actually managed to avoid stuff as well for like the first time in my life. I think because it kept being postponed and I didn't know if it was going to happen. I've kind of got this far. I know the actresses that are playing Anna and Elsa like pretty well. But apart from that, yeah, I follow them on social media. So I see they're getting into costume videos and so on. But I haven't seen any reviews. I haven't seen any spoilers. So yeah, I'm nothing but excited. So yes, Mercedes and I will be talking all about Frozen in an episode in December. So not too long to wait for that one. And that pretty much wraps up everything that we're going to be talking about today. Do join us next week when we are going to be talking all things Disney Plus Day. So we're going to be having a look at how the parks were celebrating, what they were doing in honour of Disney Plus Day and all the new viewings for Disney Plus. So next week is definitely one you do not want to miss. You do not indeed. My television's broken at the moment, so we need to hope and pray that I figure that out before the episode. Otherwise, I'll be viewing all these things on a laptop, which I don't think will be quite as impactful. No. So, yes, hopefully, fingers crossed for you, and we will be back next week. Bye for now. See you then. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.